Hello and welcome to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. Most well known on the motorsport scene for being the right-hand man and publicist to motocross legend James Stewart, our guest today knows exactly what it is like to work alongside one of the greatest and fastest of all time. Before that, he was product specialist at Alpine Stars, where he provided on-site race support to athletes in disciplines including MotoGP and World Superbikes. Having stepped away from the industry, he is now a cinematographer, but his love for racing sees him involved in initiatives such as Stoked, who use action sports to mentor and empower disadvantaged youth, and also driven by Diversity's two-wheeled task force. In this episode, we hear from an ever-inspiring Greg Hatton. We came into contact with you following a webinar that you took part in with Stoked, which involved individuals across action sports. Could you start by telling us about your involvement with Stoked and what they do as an organization? Yeah, well, Stoked as an organization, I was pretty new to, you know, coming into contact with them before that panel. I got involved with Stoked through friends of mine at Race Service. And Race Service has a couple of race cars and they do a lot of race communications um, here in the U.S., but they're doing some work with Formula One right now. They've designed a couple of Daniel Ricciardo's helmets and they've done some of the video work with um, Formula One for the driver intros and, you know, some things like that. So I've known those guys for years, um, but I got out of motorsports and we just stayed in communication because kind of, you know, you build friendships and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so they put me onto the idea of talking to stoked and being on that panel because of my history in motorsports and because, you know, I'm an African-American man and, um, I was all for it. You know, we're going to talk about cars or bikes and being black. I mean, yeah, and there's tons to talk about. So, um, got on the panel. Uh, I knew Salema Nasakela just through, you know, interactions at different X Games events and through uh, James Stewart. I used to work with the, mm -hmm. the motocross, all of greatest of all time, James Stewart. And he introduced, or actually, um, I met Steve, who he and S Steve and Salema started Stoked. And um, it was pretty awesome to just be on that panel and talk about this experience. You know, I never thought that. I'd be able to do that, but here we are. So, Brilliant. So you say you were brought on because of your history in motorsport, and I know you just touched on there the MX legend that is James Stewart. Talk to us a bit more about your involvement going right back and what you did there in terms of your role with James. Yeah, I worked with James Stewart for I think it was four years, um, and I was basically kind of his, his right-hand man. Like We went everywhere and scheduled meetings and set up appointments with different sponsors and just thought up a lot of stuff and he and i sat together and dreamt up the whole line of motorsport apparel that is seven uh seven that's what it's called now um but yeah we we were you know in and out of race circuits all over the the place doing that thing and i did a lot of communications with the publications on his behalf and you know i think we started that was back when instagram started and we, we started <laughs> with him and that was pretty fun 
Um, but going back before that, I worked at Alpine Stars and um, I traveled the U.S. and abroad taking care of the motorsports athletes that we had. And um, that was, I mean, that was amazing. I had a great, great time. It was very hard, but it was great. And um, just experiences and friendships that I can't even, you know, I mean, it's amazing to think, you know. Yeah. Casey Stoner and Nikki Haight. Yeah. Rest in peace, Nikki. Yeah. Um, ben Spees, you know, like, but everybody. I mean, that's how I met Michael Jordan, you know. So, oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's there's been a long history, you know. As a child, I've been into motorsports, and it kind of just grew and grew and grew as I did. And I found myself in Italy and Australia and Japan, and it was beautiful. Sounds amazing. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of great stories from those years as well. You said that your interest in motorsport grew just from when you were a kid. Was there anything that actually sparked it initially, or as long as you can remember, you were just a fan of motorsport? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's attractive, isn't it? Like motorsports in general, when you see the race cars or you see the bikes, you see the colors, you see the race tracks, you hear the sounds, like it's very attractive. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, wow, what is going on here? You know, this car says it's a Ford or it says it's a Mercedes, <laughs> but that's not like any Mercedes I've ever seen. So at the beginning, as a child, you know, we're, we're all learning so much where we're seeing the world for the first time. And if you're exposed to certain things, some things might stick out more than others. And the same way a, a kid sees somebody surf really amazing. And they're like, I got to do that myself. I saw like these race cars and I was like, man, I want to try that. And started going to the, the, the slick track racing and did some autocross racing and drag racing. And one thing led to another. And, you know, we got a seven or i'm sorry we had a, like a nine second honda civic and then we had a drift car and then i was part of a motorcycle racing team and we were traveling to laguna seca and then uh, you know next thing you know you're at phillip island having dinner with <laughs> legends of the sport so it just graduate snowballs yeah it does it really does and how did you get that very first exposure then you say you you just saw these cars and you just saw racing was that on tv or was that in real life and was that instigated by a family member taking you and showing you yeah so my i had my best friend at the time his name was brett walker his father was a professional drag racer in the nhra just the national hot rod association and he was my best friend and i would spend the night and they'd have this race car and he'd be watching you know race car or i'm sorry drag racing videos and we had video games and we were playing like, you know, the racing games and like pole position and <sighs> virtual racer and all that kind of stuff. So learning about that and then going to the auto shows in Los Angeles and seeing these crazy concept cars and all that, it just opened your mind to, you know, what was possible. And I just kind of kept looking for more of that and more of that and more of that. And the snowball started to roll and, you know, now it's just amazing to say that, I mean, actually it's, it's interesting because that happens in every, you know, line of work. It's like mm -hmm. snowball starts and then by the end of it, you're, you're doing something that you never thought possible. So. And how did you actually get your first job in motorsport? What was it that actually helped you get your foot in the door? So the first job actually came um, from when I was young, I wanted to race myself, but being black and in America, you know, and I was raised in a single parent home and my mother I was raised by my mom, but she passed away when I was 15 
and really having no means of doing any of it. You know, cars are expensive, bikes are expensive. Like I, I try to explain it to people. It's like every time that people go and race, they're breaking the car or the bike that they're racing in, you know, like every single time. So mm. how do you, how do you do that on your own as a 16 year old kid, you know? So I decided to, if that wasn't going to be the route, I just needed to be close enough to it. And I just stayed at the racetrack and around the racetrack. I knew when the races were, I looked at the shops and I tried to get jobs at shops. And I ended up working at a place called, um, NRG performance. Um, and we had a race team called upgrade and the owner of the shop, his name is Sean Torrente. And this was in Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. And we had a little race team and we started, you know, doing all that kind of fun stuff. Sean's actually, it's funny because he's been a racer all his life, but he was racing boats. And right now, oh, wow. sit, he's like the Formula One, H2O Formula One champion two years running right now. So, That's cool. What a crossover. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I mean, he wanted to, he always raced the boats, but, you know, once you're a racer, everything's kind of a race. <laughs> so, <laughs> building cars and bikes and having fun with that. And as that kind of dwindled out, the, the boat racing thing was always there for him. And um, yeah, he's the H2O Formula One champion for two years, that guy. So that's kind of cool. But that was the first job. And I went from there to working for another shop that was one of our wholesalers. And I went from there to working with Falcon Tire Corporation and introducing drifting to America, basically. Like we were on the front line of the drift sensation in the United States. And that was really fun to see. And so did you ever have starting in that particular role there one of your very first roles in the industry as such did you have like this grand plan or an ambition or aspiration to reach a certain level uh I don't really think so I mean if anything if there was a goal like that it was just to be seeing the best cars and traveling the world you know as a kid I tra- outside of racing um my mom and I we traveled quite a bit and I spent a lot of time in Europe and it was great. And it opened my mind to pretty much everything that everything else that happened in the world outside of Los Angeles, California, you know? Mm. So I kind of just wanted to see as much as I could, you know, she made me believe that I could do anything that I wanted to, but I had to just work for it. And the idea that formula one was there, you know, hearing Ayrton Senna's name and seeing Michael Schumacher and these crazy cars, like, I was like, man, I want to see that. Like, I want to go to Spa, like Spa, just the name, Spa. Yeah. You know, know, it it, it became almost dreamlike to to kind of fantasize about these things, but then it became more tangible as I was, Mm. as that snowball was growing. And it just was constantly motivating to, to try to do more. And I understood that I was taking the long way, the long way to doing it, especially because I was just a black guy running around on my own. Um, but it, it was still worth the effort and, and we got there. So that was cool. And could you touch on some of the other bits that you're working on at the moment in terms of like inspiring the younger generations and helping them find their way, whether it is in motorsport or just action sports more generally from different backgrounds? Yeah. Um, so... You're going to probably hear me talk about this a lot in anything that I might pop up on or even today and further into the conversation, but it's all about visibility. And, you know, I did meet a lot of cool people on the um, 
the Stoke panel and Lindsay Ulrich was one of them. I actually saw her plenty of times before, but never really knew her just running around in the pattern. So crazy. <laughs> but um, the interesting thing there is that like we started a conversation about the driven to diversity, like two wheel task force where about a lot of people that were in motorsports or had that background in, in motorcycle motorsports start a conversation and we're going to try to, you know, start to up the conversation and, and bring awareness to people of color that you can be involved in this. Cause a lot of times, you know, it was so eloquently put by Chris Weber after this last event that happened in the U S with um, Jacob Blake's shooting and the NBA players decided not to play. They're like, you know, we're not, we're not going to go out and do this right now. Like there's something that needs to be spoken about. And he was talking about the first time he remembers the first time that he saw Charles Barkley walk into his high school into the locker room. And this is the first time he saw uh, that, that he saw a real NBA basketball player and how tall this person was and how big his hands were. And like, it was like amazing. And the line that he said is so really say, you know, you can't be something until you see it. And For sure. with, African-Americans or black people in general, we don't see ourselves in a lot of different lights. You see the hip hop star, you see the basketball player, we see this, that, and the other, and that's about it. And we have so much more to offer. I mean, it's crazy. And so I, I really want to work to that, you know, and just, you know, I, I'm out of motorsports now, but I'm working in, I'm a cinematographer now and a photographer and I love shooting people of color, not just black people, but people of color, because we really need to see how beautiful all of us are. And by showing that and showing that in so many different ways, you get the younger generation seeing the possibility of doing different things. And, and that's, that's, you know, I can actually bookend that with this statement. You know, we lost Chadwick Boseman and it was horrible. But I remember when Black Panther, the movie came out, I was actually in Japan and we were shooting a, um, a commercial series for Nissan, um, for the GTR, the Nismo edition and the, the Z car. And um, it was at the time that Black Panther had come out and I had already seen it a couple of times, but I'm like, Dude, I'm gonna go watch Black Panther in Japan. How about that? That's what's gonna happen. So I went and I went with a couple of the, you know, Japanese national, or nationals that were there to, to kind of be with us and all that. And after we saw the movie, the most amazing comment that I've ever heard, one of them said to me, it's like, wow, I've never seen black people look like that. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's saying a lot, yeah. right? So visibility is everything to me. And the, the medium that I, you know, the camera is what I choose to use now. So I'm going to just do what I can to put that into focus for people across the planet as much as I can. I think that's brilliant and it's a good good way of using your your skills to really bring about positivity and um, strive for that goal that you want to achieve. You mentioned that you're not currently in motorsports but you're sort of you've always kept those links open wow. and now you're sort of reopening those links to get involved with projects and initiatives to do with diversifying the industry the motorsport industry specifically would it be fair to suggest that that's because it's now the industry has now opened up the conversation of diversity and inclusion and it's now something that that you feel that you can get on board with in terms of the motorsport community yeah i absolutely do i mean it's almost like 
the younger generations aren't as gullible, <laughs> I want to say, as the older generations have been. But we're in a time now where everybody's searching for something real. Yeah. You know, like looking for like, like, don't just tell me that I need to go to buy this at this store. Why do I need to go? Is the person that owns mm. the store, you know, do they, do they have that knowledge? You know, like we're looking for masters of any crafts to really understand the purpose of why we're doing anything that we're doing. You know, I just can't accept somebody being this with no knowledge or just no history, you know. So I, I think that the industry is starting to wake up to that motorsport. Mm-hmm. I think that every industry is starting to wake up to that. And it's it's odd that it's taken this long, but it's understandable too with the amount of pride that goes into things and the way things used to be sort of attitude. But we are past that. We're definitely past that. And and now you see people that are looking for more. I mean, we, we're so close. I mean, look at the group of people that are talking on this podcast, you know, our podcast right mm-hmm. now, just the backgrounds, stories and all that. Years ago, this would have never happened. And we're in an age now where this is happening. So can you just like watch it happen or can you contribute and make it happen a bit more efficiently, a bit more effectively? And I think that you two are doing that with this podcast to get these words in front of people that can really think about them and, and, and have the power to make that change because, I mean, that's how we win, really. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> what sort of things do you want to see change within motorsport then? And what sort of things do you think are like the pressing things that need to be addressed as soon as possible to put diversity at the forefront and drive the change that we all want to see? You know, the dialogue of a lot of things needs to change. I think what Formula One has done this year has been pretty cool to see so many people of color or men and women um, talking about the sport. You know, that's, that's, the, that's a great start. You know, it's not the end of it, but that's, the, mm-hmm. that's a great start um, because it goes back to that whole notion of visibility, right? Um, I love what Lewis is doing. Um, He's been a hero of mine for years. I mean, it's weird. Like, he's younger than me, but a hero type thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what's really real about anything that we're doing and what's really good about what you guys are doing with this is that the communication is so key. Like, speaking truth to what needs to be said and not just the spectacle of what we're mm-hmm. doing, but the truth of why we're doing it. You know, once that happens, if you give somebody the truth, they can have informed decision-making. They understand more about what they're saying and seeing and why they're putting on this jacket. You know, it, it, it all makes sense. But a lot of the things that we did before, we didn't really talk about it directly. We're just like looking at, oh, you know, this team is that and they're this, this and that. And you just think that, oh, that's a terrible team. But in reality, they're trying their hardest with what they have to do something. And that's commendable. But it's never really, you know, talked about in that manner. So I think the, the, the way that we inform the public, the way that we teach each other, our children in schools, like the way we talk about everything really is, is what we need to start changing right now. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that for sure. And it's it's about opening up that communication channel, as you've said, because the more people talk about it, the more people understand it, especially those that don't quite understand why there is a need for it. And it's it's about 
informing those people and educating those people and all of us as well because as Ariana has said on previous podcasts we're all on a journey and we don't all know the answers and it's about learning from others and and all of that stuff and I think that's really important what I would like to ask you actually is obviously going back to James Stewart again he's an African-American and a black guy and so you um back then what was it like going around the paddock and racing as two black guys what was that like? What was the reception? Um, that's an interesting story because motorsport, or sorry, motocross and supercross is inherently a good old boy sport. Mm. I mean, it's that's for white people in the country. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's literally what that sport is. You know, is built upon, yeah. and that's fine because it's a great sport. I mean, I honestly think it's the hardest sport that you can do physically. Um, it's you're tormenting your body mm-hmm. for. You know, all year round, just it's nuts yeah, what it does. The arm pump. <laughs> oh my God, arm pump. I mean, just like the shock in your knees and your ankles and your back yeah. going up. And it's it's gnarly. And the injuries that come from that are, you know, catastrophic more yeah. than most of the sport. But um, regardless of that, being black and in that world, you got to see a lot of things and you got to see where a lot of limitations were from most of the white people there, like they, they accepted you for racing and being a part of that, but you can see where that kind of stopped. And then you can see how much you did in this world and how much you were allowed to do, you know, like it's, it's mind boggling to me. Like James Stewart is, I love that dude and his family. They're amazing. It's amazing. What he accomplished is absolutely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Given the fact he was like the best at this. Yeah. And nobody else really even knew about him, you know, outside of the U.S. or outside of motocross. Like, and not a lot of people knew him. Like, we would go to cities traveling from race to race and we could just walk down the street. Nobody knew who he was. I'm like, man, this is like a living legend, you know, and I'm doing the history and all this kind of stuff. So when I, even when I was working with him, I'm like, man, I can't even believe that this dude is right here. You know, like, that's amazing to me. But we had, you know, there was issues with it. You know, there, there was one race in particular that I, you know, like it kind of hurt me and it, it kind of made me kind of think about everything that was going on in the world because James was coming back off of injury and all this kind of stuff. And he was getting used to this new bike and they always like to talk trash about how he crashes or how he can do this and all that. But I saw the dude practice every day. So I knew that he was in it for all the right reasons. And so anyways, this race came up and he was coming back and he was feeling really good, really good. And we're walking to the starting gate and this is in California and this like somebody in the fans yelled out and called him, you know, a nigger, like the family, like you niggers or blah, blah, blah. And threw beer and it landed on his dad at the starting gate. So bad. At at a supercross event. Yeah. Disgusting. Top level of motorsports uh, of that kind in the world. Right. FIM sanctions like the elite dirt bike racers on the planet lining up for competition. And right before you go to race, this happens. And James saw it. The guy ran into the crowd and his dad's like, dude, just, you know, don't worry about it. You got to stay focused and all that. So James is on the gate and I just witnessed this and I'm like, dude, that sucks. Like, like it kind of just, you know, it stops what you were thinking. Yeah. The gate dropped and James, like he took off. (laughs) Like it was like a five, six second lead Amazing. after the first lap. like just crazy yeah 
And I was like, dude, he's going to like, he's going to do it. He's going to show these people. And he just kept digging and digging and digging. And he had this huge crash, huge crash. And he survived it. And, um, you know, we, you know, had to recoup and get him back to health and all this. And the news was just, everybody in the media were just talking about like, I don't know if he really has it. He can't do this. He can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to leave. He just blew it. He was trying too hard. And I'm just like, you guys really have no concept of what it is, you know, to be like, I understood, you know, everybody says when you put your helmet on, yeah, you turn into a different person. And that helped. I mean, when I raced, it was the same thing. I mean, I don't even know who I was. I was like, you know, here we are doing this. But that on your back, like that's an enormous weight. Mm. And to have done what he did before I was working with him, you know, to, for Lewis, even Lewis doing the same thing. Like I applaud Lewis. Never met the dude. I want to. I will for sure. I'm gonna try my hardest. But that dude is. They're doing something that never happened before them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's monumental. And it, it it's it's hard. It's not an easy task. That's a really horrific story, to put it plainly. It's absolutely disgusting. And I imagine that, unfortunately, things like that probably still happen nowadays to people like Lewis as well. I mean, you only have to look in, like, the comments and stuff. Obviously, it's not the same as, you know, being on the starting line. But I guess that's modern-day technology. It's even more accessible now. Yeah. And you mentioned at the start of your answer there the fact that, you know, people would often accept you to a certain limit within the industry. Yeah. And that's something that you touched on in the Stoked webinar as well, when you spoke about, you know, yeah, you could be there in like your dressing room or whatever, and people were really nice to you, but you still had to sort of hold back to an extent, you know, your your culture as such. Like, you know, if you're playing Nipsey Hustle in the dressing room, people don't really understand why you're playing that music. Like, what what is that? Yeah. How do you feel like we overcome that part? Because that's quite an important part to be able to actually fully embrace your culture when you're there it's not enough just being there you want to be able to be exactly who you are you don't want to have to shy away from the music you listen to because people have you know false impressions of what the type of music is or anything like that so how do you think you actually get people past that block and building an inclusive culture I think as well is key to that yeah yeah I mean I think it goes back to communication Mm. you know to me, the, the answer to every problem that we have on this planet right now is proper education and proper communication. I mean, if, if instead of people saying like, why do you listen to this music or like condemning mm-hmm. it, you know, they could ask why. And I'm gonna tell them the story, like dude, Nipsey Hussle is a crip from Los Angeles, California. Grew up around those dudes. They used to kill each other. They used to do all this kind of stuff, but he became very enlightened and he started helping community and he starts to speak about it but he's being true to who he was in his music. You know, he's like, I got no tint on my window so everybody can see what success looks like or had just to be an example. It's empowering, you know? So, you know, the, the proper communication as to why, like, instead of thinking, oh, you just have money and you're blowing it and you're doing this, that, and the other, like, what makes you think that? I think Dave Chappelle said it best. When he's like, I hate when people say um, they're crazy or that person's crazy for doing that. He's like, because that's dismissive. That's not even allowing a thought of why a person might be doing what they do or saying what they say or even look the way they look. You know what I mean? And it's, it's not, we, empathy is lacking all around the world, right? Yeah. 
But if you understand the meaning of empathy and, and really put it into practice with, you know, this person does this, this person does that, you know, it's really cool that they have this ability, but it comes from this background. It comes from that background and all that, you know, you start to understand more about the person and more about how to engage with them and how to contribute to them or learn from them. Like all of this plays in. It's crazy because if you look at motorsports, we use Formula One as the example. These are things that we know. Because if you look at what happens in the, the lifespan of a race team throughout a season, you start out a season with this idea of what the car is going to be, what the tracks are going to be. As they go through the season, they always are fixing and doing all these things because of what they learned about the track, about the driver, about this, that, and the other. They're always working towards making the package better. That same idea applies to everything that we do. You know what I mean? Like we're in a pandemic. I can't talk to you in person. Okay, let's do it over Zoom. It's the same logic, but we, we, we tend to just kind of focus on little things and not see how it plays on the whole. And once we can start thinking about that, we eliminate so many things. It's, it's, I've been saying it lately, it's, it's easy math. It's really easy math. I think what you've discussed is just really actually quite inspiring as well. But as a final note to finish on, I think it's probably quite obvious, but what are your hopes for the future of the motorsport industry? I want to see more of us out there doing it. You know, I want to see us more, more of us innovating. I mean, there's so many ideas about what we need to do in the world um, with regards to clean energy and, and, you know, the climate situation that we're in and the racial situation that we're in um, globally. And I think that everyone on here, everybody listening can understand that we're all doing this together. We all have friends. Like, I don't have just black friends. I don't have just, you know, white friends. We're doing this life together. And it's been fun. And it can be even better if we do more. So why are ideas of creating something better only allotted to a small group of people? Mm-hmm. You know, like you can have people that have to come in and be scientists or whatever that can that have different backgrounds that might create or, or understand the science a little bit better to offer a new technology that we can live off of and have more fun with this racing situation, make crazy electric cars that can do that. Who knows where that's going to come from? You know, so that way of thinking applied to how we deal with each other, applied to how we build new motorsports, about how we do everything. That, that's exciting to me because it, it feels like we're in the time to do that. And I, I want, I want to see more of that. I want to tell more of those stories. I want to, I'd love to like, again, Lewis is doing a great thing and talking about racial inequality and talking about the climate situation, you know, those conversations, like I'd like to work with him and do more like bigger, like stories about that, like educational pieces about that, because regardless of what people think, people want to see that stuff. People want to learn and stop feeling like they're being force fed ideas. So I I think that we're in the time for that. And that is so exciting. Thanks to Greg for joining us. I loved what he had to say and he shared some really interesting perspectives there, including from his time working in motorsport. 
Yeah, I mean, the story that he shared about the awful experience he encountered with James Stewart at the start gates really does highlight how far there is to go. Even though this is just one example, we have seen it before in F1 when Spanish fans in the grandstands turned up in blackface to taunt Lewis Hamilton and his family in 2008. And it's unfair that these top-level athletes have had to endure things like this that their peers will never even have to consider. Yeah, exactly. Both those examples are really, really just disgusting. But as Greg said, it is promising that we are now getting to a point where Lewis and the motorsport industry more widely are attempting to address the issues of diversity and prejudice. And Lewis is a role model for so many people out there now, not just because of his talent, but also because he's opening up the conversation within the industry. Mm, So true. Greg stressed how important communication is so that we can become more understanding of other people's backgrounds and cultures. And this should hopefully lead to a more inclusive sport and society as well. Check out Greg's other passion he touched on in photography on Instagram at Renaissance Man and follow him there. Look out for some of the cool projects we're involved with on Instagram as well at We Are Driven by Diversity. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. We'll be back next Tuesday. Bye.